0: Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 7. The Gospel of John chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I want to share with you something that I have concluded after many years of observation and uh, personal study and examination in my own life. I'm not sure it was a theory I had, and I'm not sure if it's a theory that relates more to genetics or psychology or, or just nurturing and how a person is raised, but here it is. I believe that people are innately more or less rule followers. I've observed this in people. It started with my own kids, watching my kids and noting how they, uh, you know, would follow the rules, not follow the rules. And then I see them get together with their friends and see if they follow the rules, don't follow the rules. And then I started seeing this as I noticed it in kids, I started watching adults. And while adults, it fleshes itself out a little bit differently, I notice that you see it in adults as well. And I'm not sure quite the cause yet. I'm still studying that and I write my book and you can buy that when I figure out the cause. But I've observed that some people just seem to naturally lean toward being more compliant rule followers while there are other people who will test the limit Push the boundary and step over the line, no matter what the line is, just because. These are your, your rebel without a clue or rebel without a cause, which is... Well, either one fits, but you, you know, you've met those kind of people. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that, that some people aren't born without a sin nature, okay? We're all born with a sin nature. Scripture teaches that, and if you've raised children, you understand. You don't have to teach them how to sin and disobey, and, and do, they, they know how to do that. that that's how uh, we are. I'm talking kind of more about you know, man's laws and, and social norms and mores and that kind of stuff, although it does bleed over into our spiritual lives. And here's what I know about myself in all of this. I am one of the rule follower types. I always have been. When I was about to do something wrong and I would just get to that line of doing it, just the this fear of consequences and getting caught and disobeying would overwhelm me and it just would cause me to back off. I have always been a rule follower. The other part of that is the few times I did step over the line, I always got caught. And got punished, which only reinforced that I shouldn't have done it in the first place. For example, my senior year of high school, there there was a holiday we celebrated every spring called Senior Skip Day. All right. And probably 80 to 90% of the seniors would cut class and they'd go to the park, they'd go to the mall, they'd go to a friend's house, you know, hang out, you know, just kill the day away from school, totally unsupervised by any adults, Looking back on it, it sounded like a much better idea then than it does now, realizing, you know, no adults around. And all the really cool kids' parents just let them skip, okay? They they would just let them go. But fuddy-duddy parents like mine wouldn't let their kids out of school. Well, I determined that I was being treated unfairly and that when this day came, I was going to take it upon myself to just sign myself out and enjoy senior skip day because it was a significant holiday for my school. And so I did, I signed myself out and I was riding in my buddy's car. We were going to his house. We were going to kind of get our game plan for the day and what we were going to do. And my mom was a bus driver and she would run the routes and she would drop the kids off at school in the morning. She would go home, spend the day there, come back and pick them up in the afternoon. And my mom would drop kids off. There was an elementary school not too far from my house. That was one of the stops on her route. And my buddy's house just happened to be behind the elementary school. So you're driving down the main road in less than a 10th of a mile from the school. You had to turn left to get back into the area where his subdivision was. So, man, we're living carefree, you know, living large and in charge, music blaring, the windows down. We are having an awesome time on this spring day because we are liberated. We are free and we are not answering to anybody. Until we topped the hill, coming over to make this left turn, We came over the hill and there is a school bus parked across both lanes of traffic, making all the traffic divert on the road that we were gonna turn into. And guess whose school bus it was? It was mom's. My first thought, my brother ratted me out and she was coming looking for me. Well, it wasn't the case. What had happened of all the days, a water main had busted in front of the school that day. So in order to get traffic away from where they were having to replace this water main, they ask a bus driver to go and park their bus across two lanes of traffic to to divert. And guess who volunteered her bus that day? My mom. So we come cruising by, I'm in the passenger seat, and I see it, and I just begin to melt. And I'm sinking as low as I can in the seat, thinking, I don't want to be seen. But we drive right by her side of the bus, where she's sitting in the driver's seat. And I'll never forget going in, I'm, I'm watching the, the, the side mirror going, oh, Lord, please, pray she didn't see me, she didn't see me. And her arm came out the window, and I saw this. <laughs> you know, objects in mirror are larger than they appear dude mom had go go gadget arm that day i mean i, I she, she could have grabbed me by the shoulder you know and just it just yanked me back there senior skip day is not all that cool i, I don't i don't know what it was all, all, all that uh, all was cracked up to be but you know some people we, we are more or, or less compliant uh to rules and I, but i think it's universal that whether we're kind of more of a rule follower or rule breaker everybody wants to be the one who makes up the rules right And I watch this with my kids all the time. Why do we want to be the person who makes the rules? Because we can bend, we can manipulate, or we can interpret the rules in our favor, right? I mean, if you're the the rule follower type, when you make the rules up, you bust everybody's chops to make sure they're following the rules that you've set. And if you're the the non-compliant sort of person, then you want to be in charge of the rules because you can uh, maneuver, explain them away. You can justify, rationalize the exceptions of the rule and why you aren't bound to those things. We all want to be the one who makes the rules. But in this morning's text, what I want to challenge us with is to follow Jesus' example. Because in John chapter 7, Jesus follows perfectly God's will and God's plan for his life, regardless of what other people say or think or are trying to get Jesus to do. And so I want to challenge us this morning to follow God's will and his plan for our lives, regardless of what other people might say, regardless of what they might think about us as a result of us following God's will, or regardless of what they might tell us is good or right or even what is best for us. You see, everybody in the text today had an idea a thought or a plan about about God's will and what Jesus should do in order to bring about God's will. But there's only one person in the text who got God's will right. Guess who it was? It was Jesus. And so I wanna challenge us to follow his example of following God's will, regardless of what others may say or think. In chapter seven, verse one, we read this. After this... Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Now Jesus stayed in Galilee because he knew if he went back to Jerusalem and in Judea that the religious leaders there wanted to kill him. And do you remember why they wanted to kill Jesus? Because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. There, a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus miraculously healed him on the Sabbath. And they said, you broke our Sabbath law. Therefore, they were setting out looking for ways to kill Jesus, to stop his ministry because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. And there's a note in here that says it, it's time for the, the Feast of Booths. And that may not mean a whole lot to us, but what that little statement there tells us is that there's a six-month period of time that has passed from the end of John chapter 6 to the beginning of John chapter 7. And this passage of time actually shows us an important spiritual principle, which is this, discipleship is personal. Discipleship is personal. Matthew and Mark, and I put these references in there if you wanna read some of these stories. They tell us a little bit about the events that took place. Passover was in April. That's where John chapter six was taking place. Now, John chapter seven is the Feast of Booths in October. Matthew and, uh, and Luke give us a little bit of, or Matthew and Mark, I'm sorry, tell us some of the events that took place in here. But the primary focus of this six month period was Jesus teaching the disciples and pouring his life into the disciples. And I put some of the passages in there, but what we see is that Jesus spent a few days with the crowds, but he spent months personally investing in the disciples. And you know what the disciples did to continue the ministry that Jesus called them to? They personally invested in and discipled others who you know what they did? Personally invested in and discipled others. The point is very simple. Discipleship is a personal thing for us to grow in our walk with Christ, and it is best experienced in, in, with other believers in the context of small groups. Jesus gave us the Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Well, Jesus calls us to do that, but, but did he give us any instruction or did he set an example of how we are to best do that? Yes, he did by teaching the 12. It was the primary focus of Jesus during his three years of ministry. He didn't spend the majority of his time preaching to the crowd, doing signs and wonders and, and talking to the masses. He spent the bulk of his time ministering to, teaching, uh, and discussing things with the disciples So it's important for believers to be connected to other believers in the context of a small group. And so I encourage you, if you don't have a Sunday school class or a small group that you're connected to, find one of those groups. Be in that place where you can grow with other believers and you can study God's word and you can be discipled as Jesus modeled and set the example for us. But in verse three, we get our first glimpse of people who had their own idea of how God's will should play out in Jesus' life. It says, so his brothers said to him, these are his half brothers, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus' own family, his own brothers didn't believe that he was the Messiah yet. Now James and Jude would later uh, come to be believers after Jesus' resurrection, and they would write letters that are actually included in the Bible. But at this point, they didn't yet believe in Him. And here's what they were challenging Jesus: You're doing these signs, you're doing these wonders. You know, people are talking about whether or not you're the Messiah. Why don't you go to this festival? Go to the Feast of Booths. There are going to be thousands and thousands of people there. Go up, do some signs, work some miracles. You know, do some of that stuff and prove that you are the Messiah. People will see this, they'll believe, and go, "Wow, look at The things that this Jesus is doing, he must be the Messiah. Then, when they realize you're the Messiah, you can start the political uprising which will move us, the nation of Israel, to be the dominant world power. Because that's what they expected. That's what they were looking for and desired in the Messiah. That was their expectation. And so, that was their plan. And they tell Jesus, This is what you ought to do. But Jesus knew that it wasn't time for him to reveal himself to the people in that way and in that context. He also knew that once he revealed himself to people, they wouldn't accept him, but that they would actually reject him and he would prove to be right. Look at what he tells his brothers in verse six. My time has not yet come. But your time is always here. He's not talking about physical clock time, looking at a watch. He's talking about a time as in an opportunity time. That's what that word actually conveys. My opportunity, he says in here. Your opportunity is always here. You can go out and do what you want to do. It's not gonna be that big a deal. Look at verse seven. The world cannot hate you because they were like the world. They were of the world, living by the world's values and principles. But it hates me, he says, because I testify about it that its works are evil. So by his life, his example, and his teaching, people brought conviction to people. And when people get convicted about their sin, do they generally like to be convicted about their sin, to have their sin pointed out that they're not doing right? Not so much, do we? We generally don't like when someone tells us those things. And Jesus, knowing this, tells them, it's not my time. Verse eight, you go up to the feast, I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. So he knew that the reaction of the crowd wouldn't be that they would follow him and go, oh, he's the Messiah. We want to follow after and do what he wants us to do. Jesus knew he would be rejected and ultimately that they would kill him. And so his brothers went off. They left Jerusalem without him. But verse 10 tells us that that it was God's plan for Jesus to reveal part of himself at the festival. It wasn't the full opportunity, but it was an opportunity for him to teach and to show and to let people know who he was and what he was going to do. Verse 10, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So these are all whispers and side conversations and all these things taking place as people were waiting for Jesus to show up at the festival and he didn't go with the masses he went late probably several reasons for that one he went late because most of the people would already be in the city at that time it was a 7 day festival so people wanted to get there early to be able to get a seat you know have have a place there uh, they got there as it started they were already in the city they were investing in they were a part of the festival so jesus then quietly goes up by himself many scholars say and uh, you can find the reference in Luke chapter 9 about jesus time in samaria many scholars think he went through samaria because devout jews avoided going through Samaria. They didn't want to be around those those dirty old Samaritans, so they avoided that altogether. And so quite possibly, Jesus traveled through Samaria to keep a low profile because everywhere he went, he drew a crowd of people and they came and they flocked around him. And Jesus didn't want to be seen by the masses just yet. It wasn't God's time. It wasn't God's will. It wasn't God's plan. And so Jesus wasn't going to push it. He wasn't going to be early. He wasn't going to be late. He was going to be right on time and follow God's will Perfectly. And he knew that the religious leaders were looking for him. You see the crowds muttering, the religious leaders saying, Where is he? They, they were looking for him. They didn't want to know because they wanted to come and hear him teach. They wanted to have him arrested. And we'll see later in this chapter that they did try to have him arrested. They were looking to catch him, to try and silence him from his teaching. But about halfway through the festival, Jesus finally makes his first appearance. Verse 14 about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? See, rabbis would, would teach in the temple area, and, and their disciples and their learners would come and they would listen and learn from them. And that's what Jesus did. He shows up in the temple and he's teaching, and they marvel. They say, He hasn't studied. In our vernacular, they'd say he doesn't have a bachelor's degree, doesn't have a master's degree, doesn't have a doctorate from, our, from the approved college or seminary. Yet he teaches with such authority and with such insight. And Jesus said, The reason is very simple. He said, Hey, it's not me. This is the message from God. It's his authority, it's his insight. It's his truth, God sent me to deliver this message. You want to know who I was taught by? It was God Himself. He sent me with this message. That's why you recognize it and say it's authoritative. That's why you hear it and say, Wow, that's great insight because it's from God. He says, If you will follow and do these things, you will know, you will know in your own heart, in your own spirit, that this message is from God, but the people weren't gonna listen. He knew of their unbelief and what was in their heart. uh, And and he challenged that unbelief. It's awesome. He tells me, he says, you say you follow the law of Moses, but you know what? You don't. You don't keep Moses' laws. You break them. You break Moses' laws regularly. And then he adds on, look at the end of verse 19. Why do you seek to kill me? You know what he's saying there? You say you have Moses' law and you have it and you don't keep it, you break it. I'm following Moses' law. I haven't broken any of them. It's been perfect in my life. Why do you seek to kill me? You say you follow the law, but you don't, you break it. Yet someone comes who is following the law, who's not broken it. And the result is, you try to kill me? What's going on with that? And the crowd's hearing this. They don't know the hearts of the religious leaders as Jesus does. And so someone in the crowd in verse 20 calls out, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. They're like, what are you talking about? And surely in this person's mind, he's here in the middle of the city. There are people all around, the religious leaders, the officials. And they're looking going, what do you mean somebody's trying to kill you? You're out in public teaching. Nobody is trying to kill you. And then Jesus responds in verse 21. I did one work and you all marvel at it. Well, the one work he's talking about is, is the healing of the invalid. That's kind of the, the focal point of the, the conflict here. But is that the only work that Jesus has done? No, it's not. He's done so many more works. He says, I, I, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus the St- summary here of this is to say to them, look, I healed a man on the Sabbath, totally healed his body. He'd been an invalid for 38 years. I healed him on the Sabbath and you tell me I broke the Sabbath law. Yet you claim circumcision from Moses. Well, two things on this. First of all, it didn't come from Moses. It started with Father Abraham. Moses just wrote it down. All right, so that's first of all. It it didn't come from Moses. It started with Father Abraham as a sign of the covenant with God. Secondly... If a young man is born, if a baby is born, a baby boy, and the eighth day falls on the Sabbath, you circumcise that little boy in order to, to fulfill and gain the spiritual blessing that they saw as a child of the covenant. They followed the law even if it fell on the Sabbath. So they were ratifying the covenant, seeking a, a special favor from God, a special relationship with God because, by following the circumcision law on the eighth day, even if it was a Sabbath. And so Jesus comes and says, wait a second, you do that, yet I do something even greater. I heal a man's whole body to show you that there's a new covenant. God wants to relate with you in a new way. There's a new channel, a new avenue of spiritual blessing. It's not circumcision, it's through me. So I give you this greater sign and it happens on the Sabbath and you want to kill me. Basically, Jesus is telling them, them, you're making up the rules as you go along. You say it's okay for you to do this and it's this sign of uh, of covenant blessing, but yet I come and do something greater and you're telling me it's wrong? Judge by what is right, Jesus says. Make a right judgment. Well, Well, how do we make a right judgment? We base it on God's word. We base it on God's will and God's plan, not our own desires or preferences that we may have. I want us to see four things from the text this morning first I want us to, to see and understand that the world will try to force us the world will try to force you to follow its rules its values and its expectations Jesus brothers came to him and they wanted him to reveal himself like they thought he should And i'll tell you the world will be relentless in trying to get you to follow their expectations their ways and their standards of right and wrong and of how to live your life and children and teens who are here today i want to speak to you for just a moment directly because this is so pertinent to where you are i i just i know that the pressures and the stresses that you face that that feel relentless and overwhelming at times But I wanna tell you there is a time coming when you will move past middle school and high school and college and you will enter into the real world and, and you'll be out in a context and an environment and a situation that is so very different from what you're in now. And at that time and in that season, that place in your life, what other people think about trivial things in your life won't matter and it won't bother you, their thoughts and their opinions and their values on things. I mean, we, we all will have to, I mean, you'll even at that point have to consider, you know, other people's values and opinions. I mean, we, we never, you know, get free from that. You're going to have a spouse whose opinion and value will matter or should matter to you in that relationship. And you'll have a boss, you know, and their opinions and thoughts of you will matter and coworkers and how you are part of the team. Th- those things will take place. But I hold on tight and know that there is a different world and environment than what you are living in now. And you'll have peers and you'll have persons that, that, that their, their opinions and their values and their thoughts about you will matter. But I'll tell you, it'll be a different thing because honestly, if, if your opinions and your values are radically different, then life just so happens and works itself out that, that you're not around those persons and you just move in different circles and, and in different areas and different places of your life because you'll pick and choose who those people are and I was in high school once, seems like, you know, forever ago. I was in high school once, and I know, I'm sure it's pretty much the same way today. There were, there were groups of people who determined what was cool and what wasn't cool, what was in, what was out, what was acceptable, what was unacceptable. I remember those groups and how all that played out in the dynamics and the environments that you're in now. And if you were part of the group deciding what was acceptable, not acceptable, then things were pretty good for you. But if you weren't then, then I remember the, that the pressures and the ridicule and the world you lived in could be very, very difficult. I remember that environment. And let's, let's, let's be, be honest here. Some of the things I'm talking about, some of the, the, the norms and the, the acceptable things and unacceptable things, it's just a matter of style and preference. And those things change over time. Like clothing, fashion, for instance. Bell bottoms were in and they were out, remember? And then they came back in again here recently, didn't they? We call them flare jeans now, right? And that, that, that how that works out. They were, they were in and they were out. Styles of glasses. You remember this one? Styles of glasses have changed. over them. The horn rims, you know, from the 50s and the big gold ones that we had, you know, for part of the 80s. And now we're getting more of the trendy, the, the Sarah Palin type, the small, you know, the, the, the black, darker outline stuff that was there. How many of you remember this? Leg warmers. Neon colors. Parachute pants, Yeah. Yeah, those came, they went, some of them are coming back again, right? If I'd have just held on, I'd have been fashionable once again, you know. Those things are, those things are coming back around. You know, the Bible sets modesty as the principle for how we dress. Uh, and beyond modesty, you know, that there's, there's a lot of flexibility within that that has no moral, moral binding upon it. You know, music is another one of these areas. I so remember how important it was to like the correct artists and the right groups, you know, in high school, middle school. And you had to have all their music and their t-shirts. And, you know, we, have, we had, uh, you know, cassettes back then. You know, you not know what a cassette is. We had cassette tapes back then and all that kind of stuff. So I, I know what that was like, but let me tell you, 20 years past high school, psh, <laughs> There's not much of a thought at all. This is, let me tell you how this was. I had read about Lady Gaga blogs and news articles different things knew nothing about her but i knew that nothing that she sang about wrote about or modeled was going to edify me and my walk with christ <laughs> i mean i could I, if i heard a song out somewhere in public and somebody said it's lady gaga back like, oh really i didn't know that was her I had no clue whatsoever nothing nothing beyond what i read we were watching american idol a couple of months ago and she was the host whatever that person is on there that day and i was sitting there with shelly on the couch and i remember seeing her for the first time she had all this, face painted up, these funky eye things going on, some crazy outfit with feathers and awful colors. And I, I, I didn't know who she was. Looked at you I said, who is that? She looks like an idiot. And I know we need to love her and we love her in Jesus name and, and all that kind of, I'm just telling you 20 years past high school, you know, how those things that you listen to and you follow it all changes drastically. All right. I mean, it's very, very different. 20 years as your values shift and the opinions of things matter. So some of the rules and things that they're just, they're they're trivial side issues, but some of the things that you're faced with and the challenges that, that you deal with day in and day out make a tremendous difference. Drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality and pornography and homosexuality and and prescription pain medication and all those things, it makes a huge difference whether or not you follow God's will and God's plan and God's word in those things or the values and the ways of the world. The point I'm trying to make is the world is going to try to influence you toward accepting their view of those things. But I wanna challenge you to stand firm in God's word Understand and know God's will and his desire and his plan for your life and live according to that. And the second thing from this passage is tied closely to that because you will experience it just like Jesus said, the world won't like it when you reject their rules and their values and their systems. They won't like it And when you stand for what is right, expect rejection and expect persecution as a result, but hold firm, stand fast to God's word and his will and his plan for your life. Again, get through this season. I know how difficult it is, but I'm telling you that there's a different stage of your life when these things will have greater value and worth for you. The third thing we see in this passage is that character and beliefs should be treasured and protected above all else. Now your beliefs and your character are closely tied together, primarily because your beliefs will lead to the character that you are known for. What you believe will lead to the character that you are known for, because your beliefs determine your actions, your behaviors, your attitudes, and the things that you do. What was the crowd saying about Jesus before he arrived at the feast? Some were saying, he's a good man. They were talking about his character. He's a good man with what he's doing. Yet others noted a principle that's right. Their principle, what they were saying is right. They said, no, no, wait a second. If someone is leading people astray, he can't be a good man. And they're right in saying that. If someone's leading people astray, he can't be a good man. The character doesn't go, a good man yet who's leading people astray and doing wrong. No, no, no. That character doesn't match those beliefs that are there. Now, understand the crowd was wrong. These people who were saying that were wrong about Jesus because he wasn't leading people astray. He was trying to lead them to God. He wanted them to know God and to have a relationship with him through through Christ but he was leading them away from the rules and the expectations of their religion and the systems that they were comfortable with. So they were accusing him of leading people astray. And the last thing from this passage that I want you to see, and it's very simple, is this. Seek to know and obey and glorify God above all else. Seek to know and obey and obey and glorify God above all else. Jesus told the crowd that if they would glorify God and seek after him, then they would come to know his power and his presence and they would know God's will and his plan for their lives just like Jesus knew them. Verse, uh, I believe was 17. Jesus said, if anyone's will, this is the person's will, if anyone's will, their desire is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority I said we'll know that you will know that if you seek to do god's will so as we wrap up this morning i want to ask you who's who makes the rules who makes the rules god is the one who makes the rules and, and we're, we may be more or less naturally rule followers, but we need someone outside of ourselves to make the rules and to establish standards of right and wrong. It needs to be objective, not subjective within us. Why is that the case? Because if it's left up to us, we're going to bend the rules. We're going to manipulate. We're going to rationalize away our sin, our disobedience against God. We're going to justify our behaviors. This will take place if we don't look to and seek to follow God's standards. We'll be like the religious leaders, that something may be okay for us because we've justified it in our minds, but not okay for someone else. And here's where I think is probably the biggest misconception in all this. We think that making up and, and, and having our own rules and playing by our own rules is the way to freedom, It's to be liberated. And, and I mean, that, that's where the, the best living is at, right? When we don't have rules and we can do what we want to do and we're in charge and we have that power and that authority. But you see, I think the exact opposite is actually true, and we find it to be true in our lives. If we don't have rules and boundaries that are established, we get out of control. We lose control, uh, and there's greater damage uh, and destruction that comes as a result of that because of our sin nature. I got a little taste of this. I've shared with you guys before that I play volleyball. I played volleyball competitively, you know, mission trips and different tournaments, things like that. And I learned to play volleyball uh, doing bump, set, spike, you know, by the rules and had officials who called violations of of carrying the ball and all this kind of stuff. Well, I I was dating Shelly. So she was still, you know, my, my girlfriend at this time. And we were at a family reunion. You know those family reunions go so you meet all the family and then they can talk about you when you leave and whether or not they approve and all this kind of deal. So we were at a family reunion and somebody pulls out a volleyball net. I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna dominate. I'm, I'm gonna crush people on the volleyball court. And Shelly is gonna think I am just absolutely awesome when I show off my mad skills out here in the volleyball court. I played one game of volleyball and I quit. You know why I quit? Because they were playing barnyard, backyard, Kentucky volleyball. Man, they're grabbing, smacking, tossing up, doing this number. They're all jumping in the net, you know, and I'm crying, Free Willie, you know, get out of the net. And they're like, Oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. I'm like, No, you're in the net. You can't touch the net in volleyball. So, I mean, I'm here. I've got the rules trying to play by the rules. They're not playing by the rules. And I was like, I can't handle this. They're, they're, you cannot win. Let me tell you, you will not win if you play by the rules and somebody else doesn't because they don't have any rules. So they're going to do whatever it takes, you know, to get that advantage. So I, I muddled through one game. When that game was always like, Oh, I think I pulled a hammer. I'm going to have to go ice it or something. I was, I, was, I was out of there. I couldn't take it any longer. Yeah, and we see that in people's lives. I mean, just think about, uh, you know, the, the, the different uh, stars that we've seen from, from music and from, uh, from Hollywood and sports stars. They, they, they've got money, they got fame, they got recognition, they got power, they've got fame, they've got recognition, they've got power, they've got everything in the world. And then one recently overdosed, drug overdosed, threw it all away. I and mean, when we see sports stars, they're cheating and they're doping and they're doing all these things to get that edge, to be just a little bit better, to bend the rules in their favor so they can be the top dog to sign the bigger contract. And we see that they're in trouble with the law and they've got all these marital issues and unfaithful. We see all They've got everything you could ever want that they're, they're living by their own rules, basically, you know, what they want to do. And it's not enough. It's not enough. We need that standard. We need to know God's word and we need to follow after God's will in our lives. So whose rules are you playing by this morning? God's rules, his word, his will, his plan for your life, your own, the world's? Whose opinion matters the most to you in the issues that are most important? Your beliefs. Your, your beliefs about God and and, and your spiritual life? Issues of morality, issues of finances, your family, your career, your character. Have you been consumed with self? Are you listening to these other voices and these other influences in the world? Are you seeking approval and validation from people in the world instead of from God himself?